And if you want to get your Bibles ready, um, I'm going to share a few verses. I'm going to start with Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. Acts 16, 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Let me read that again. Listen to the phrases the Holy Spirit puts in this statement. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. That statement about the churches, this new baby church that the Lord brought into the world on the day of Pentecost is said to have increased, been added to, expanded on a daily basis in several places of the book of Acts. So the 16th sign that we are sharing of the supernatural signs of the church is the sign of growth. Everyone say growth. Now, every single one of these signs is a supernatural sign. There may be natural ways that these things can happen in the world, but every one of these signs are supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit presenting the signs that God is in the house. The church should not be without its signs. The church was born on the day of Pentecost, and immediately several signs were evident that this church was the living body of Christ, just came with Jesus from heaven into the hearts of men, the sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the sign of joy, the sign of preaching. All within that first day, within the first few hours, several signs were there, and God never intended those signs to leave the church. They were there to remain until Jesus comes for His bride. And uh, as it says in Psalm 79, we see not our signs. Where are they? Where is the prophet that can tell us how long are we going to be without our signs? You know, it's a grief for the church to be without its signs. We should have the indicators that God is in the house. That's what 1 Peter 2.9 is all about when it says, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, so that you might show forth the virtues, the signs, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise, joy, these are signs of the church. You say, well, sinners have joy, and people can praise without it necessarily being supernatural. That's true. Every one of these signs, even miracles, people, you know, marvel at the advances that have been, um, that have been discovered in modern medicine, the techniques and everything, absolutely stunning. And uh, years ago, people would have said, that's a miracle. That's a miracle to reattach limbs or to transfer uh, hearts and all these kinds of things. So, yeah, man can do every one of these, but none of these things come from man. They all come from the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need the signs. This fourth, or excuse me, this final, this 16th sign is the sign of growth. The churches were established in the faith. They increased in number daily. That's the final sign that we're sharing of the church. And let me say to you today that Jesus describes the church of which he is a member. 
What a thought. Is Jesus a member of this church? If you go to a church where Jesus is a member, um, and you know I'm going to church with Jesus today, and he's the head of the body, we're the body, church ought to be different. If Jesus is a member of the church, he should never be a silent member. He should never be a statue that people just pray to. He is the living, the Lord of life. Hallelujah. We should be experiencing his loving kindness. We come in out of life dragging problems with us, but the Bible says his loving kindness is better than life. So we ought to leave our gathering with him better than we left life when we came in. Hallelujah. We should leave with real life. Huh? Amen. Now, so Jesus describes the church of which he is a member as a grapevine that produces fruit. Look at what he said in John 15. Let's say, let's take verse 5 and, and verse 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains, that word remains literally means lives. The one who lives in me and I live in him bears much fruit because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit, and show that you are my disciples. Now, bearing fruit is not a ruler. It is a result. It's not a ruler by which we measure others or measure ourselves. A ruler that measures our own self-achievements. But it does measure an accomplishment. It measures what God has accomplished. So it's a result it could be called, the, the sign of growth could be called the sign of his growth. Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So churches can grow, Christians can grow without God. But if you're going to glorify the Father, you must, must let him, the vine, bring forth the fruit through the branches that he will identify as fruit and he will say that is fruit. That is multiplication. That is increase. You see, fruit is not just numerical expansion. Fruit is the result of the vine from the very roots rising up and producing, reproducing its nature through the branches. Let me say it again. Fruit is the essential DNA of the vine rising through the branches reproducing its nature. And you know, fruit is really, if you think about it, we think of fruit because we can eat it and enjoy it, but the vine thinks of fruit as children because the fruit bears the seed that falls to the ground and produces more vines. And so it's how the vine reproduces. And the vine's not always interested in exponentially growing and sending long spindly branches out as much as it is, no matter how much it gets cut back or shortened, it just in its season wants to produce fruit. It wants multiplication or fruitfulness to take place. So when we look at how Jesus views growth, he uses his relationship with the church in the analogy of the vine and the branches. 
And he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If, the, if you live in me, if you remain in me, and if your life is drawn from me on a continual basis, remaining, not dropping into church once in a while, but abiding and living in Jesus, he said, you will bear much fruit. I love the fact that he didn't say, you could bear fruit. He says, if you live in me, you will bear fruit. Every single branch that abides or lives in Jesus bears fruit. It's not maybe it'll bear fruit. It will. If it, if it lives, life being the key word, if you live in Jesus, you are bearing fruit. Because apart from him, you cannot bear fruit. You can't do anything. Now, when you say, well, I could do a lot without Jesus. Yeah, but it's not anything that he pays attention to. He's not an, it's not anything he recognizes. Can you imagine spending your life to build something great in the eyes of men, but it's God's blind to it? He doesn't see it? So you want whatever is reproduced out of your life to be something that God recognizes. He sees it because why? Because it's morally upright or clean? Because it's, it's something that he enjoys? No. He sees it and recognizes it because it came from him. The only thing that Jesus sees is what came from him. From me, without me, you can do nothing. So the, the concept of growth needs to be tied to the idea of bearing fruit. In God's mind, growth is the reproduction of Jesus in our life. So no wonder he went in verse 8 and said, In this my Father is honored or glorified that you bear much fruit. In other words, a lot comes out of your life that comes from me and show or prove to be my disciples. So the way that we are identified as disciples of Jesus is that his life reproduces through us fruit that could be identified. Now you could say, well, fruit could be development of my character. It doesn't necessarily have to be leading others to Jesus. I wouldn't argue with that. I think there's definitely truth in that. But I would say that if he really meant the analogy of fruit to be something that we took hold of, then you have to look at the fact that fruit drops from a branch. It doesn't stay essentially a part of a branch, and it becomes its own once it's planted into the ground and that seed goes in. That uh, fruit becomes a vine itself, and so the body of Christ reproduces itself. So we are talking about bringing other people to Jesus. We can't get away from that. We're talking about it. Amen? So in that sense of the word, fruitfulness is multiplication. And he said, apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. So fruit is an accomplishment. Everyone say accomplishment. Here's, of course, the potential for a slippery slope. We want to be careful because we could, with condemnation, look at ourselves and say, I'm not accomplishing anything. However, a healthy Christian who lives in Christ does honestly go before the altar of God and look at themselves and say, Lord, I'm not satisfied with the level of fruit that's coming from my life. I want to produce more fruit. And you'll pray that until he whips out the shears, the pruning shears. <laughs> but, but 
That's a healthy prayer to pray. Lord, I want to produce more fruit. I want multiplication to come to my life. Now, I like the fact that God said through Jesus Christ that it's an accomplishment because we, we could get so esoteric and ethereal in our thinking that we could think fruit is just kind of my sort of being a Christian and keeping myself clean and saved and going through my days. And, you know, it's spiritual fruit. You really can't identify it. It's spiritual fruit. And I don't want to undermine those things because they are important. They're significant. But fruit has got to go from being spiritual fruit to actually being an accomplishment. And the word accomplishment, the word accomplishment involves effort. It involves the fact that you have to apply effort and you have to apply discipline. In other words, you cannot bear fruit accidentally. You have to bear fruit deliberately. Now, you may not know how it happens, but you definitely know there's an effort. You apply yourself. In other words, you bother to say, excuse me to the person in the line at Walmart, the Lord's put on my heart to share this with you. See, you step out. You make the effort. Now, when you share with them what God's put on your heart to say to them, when you tell them, I just have to tell you that the Lord just wants me to tell you Jesus loves you, and he wants you to know that he's real. That's it. You don't have to say anything more. If God put that on your heart to say to him, that's the gospel. You just drop that seed in there. And you may have dropped that seed in, in seven people in the past seven months, didn't see a single thing happen. This eighth person all of a sudden comes back up to you in the parking lot, tears in their eyes and says, pray for me. You are exactly right. I want to give my life to Jesus. You don't know how it happened. You don't know what happened to the other seven. You don't know how that word had the effect or grew so quickly in their heart. That's what Jesus said in the parable of the sower. He said, you plant the seed in good ground. It springs up. You don't know how because the life is in the seed. So spiritual growth is fine. That esoteric kind of stuff you can't put your finger on. But eventually there's got to be an accomplishment. There's got to be some indication that the kingdom of God is opening its doors in welcoming more new souls getting saved as a result of the fact that I walk the earth. So, that brings us to the point that fruitfulness is multiplication. It is an accomplishment that comes from living in the vine. So, I don't want you to think that while, while, I, while I believe it's clear in the scripture that all the members of the church share the responsibility for the sign of growth. God does put certain anointings in people raises them up, the gift of the evangelist, for example, um, that just have an anointing to whom much is given, much is required. God puts different giftings in people. That's true. But the whole body is responsible collectively as a body to be a healthy, accomplishing expression of the vine. So, having said that, before you think that the accomplishment and the effort to see that fruit, to see that multiplication, is just a matter of running out and trying to drag people into church. 
I want you to realize that just running out in the natural trying to drag people in the church is probably about the same as trying to get God to adopt fruit rather than grow fruit. And uh, adopting a fruit if you're a peach tree. You're, you're, you as a branch couldn't stretch out to your neighbor the apple tree and an apple fell on the ground and you can't grab it up in your branch and bring it in and, and hold it in your branch, branchy arm, and go, oh God, oh Lord the vine, adopt this apple. I've brought forth fruit, adopt this apple. You can't drag people into church and say, we've produced fruit. You're, you're trying to get God to adopt fruit. The Lord's not interested in it. He doesn't have to adopt fruit. He births fruit. He grows fruit. If you're a peach tree, expect peaches. Praise the Lord. Amen? So, you get the idea that we are responsible collectively and individually for the fruit that the Father's looking for. And, uh, and that fruit is our collective responsibility. But before you get under pressure and condemnation, you've got to run around and I've got to drag all these people in. Understand your responsibility is to live in the vine. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. They fellowshiped on the day of Pentecost. They prayed, they waited on the Lord, but it was the Holy Spirit that fell on them, filled them. Peter jumped up and he gave the Holy Spirit his mouth, his mind and his heart and preached the gospel and 3,000 fruits came in. Right there. Praise God. Now, we can't give Peter credit for that, but God didn't do it without Peter. That's like the man that, that worked and labored every day in his beautiful garden and it produced fruits. He had all kinds of different uh, vegetables and fruits he was growing, tilling, keeping the weeds out, watering, irrigating. And his neighbor every day when, when the man would be working in his garden, his neighbor had a, had a garden also, but he didn't really spend much time in it. He just threw some seeds in there and just depended on the natural uh, cycle of the rain and such. But the bugs were eating it up and the drought was getting to it. And he wasn't really getting very far. And he just couldn't understand how right on the other side of the fence, this guy had this lush, you know, all the cucumbers and tomatoes, all this stuff and peppers. And so every day he'd poke his head over the fence at his neighbor working. He said, my, my, your garden is so beautiful. I, I am jealous. You have the most beautiful garden. He, you know, and he would make these comments. He said, my garden is terrible. Your garden is awesome. And this would go on day after day, day after day, day after day. And finally, the man with the lush, beautiful garden just got tired of hearing this guy making these comments. He knew what was going on in the guy's mind. He knew what the problem was. And he looked up and with a rag wiped his hands and he stood up and he said, can I tell you something? He said, I know you're admiring my garden. And the guy said, oh yeah. He said, listen, you should thank God. Because God has blessed you with this awesome garden. God is richly, richly, but right just 20 feet away on the other side of this fence. My God, you should see what I've got to deal with. But God has smiled upon you and blessed you with this abundant garden. The guy's wiped off his hands. He says, you should have seen it when God had it to himself. <laughs> you see, fruitfulness is deliberate. 
And it does not come from us just doing it. But God doesn't do it apart from us. We have to work with Him, and He wants to work through us. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're not running out and just dragging people in. We're running into the vine. We're, as branches, we're reaching down into the root every day and living in communion and fellowship with Jesus. So really, the sign of growth begins with a growing relationship with Jesus flowing in the people of the church. So, as the scripture says, we plant, we water, but God gives the increase. God is the one who produces the sign of growth, and the sign of growth is the sign of our accomplishment with the Lord. Our accomplishment with the Lord. I'll give you an encouraging example. We are a small church, and you could easily look and go, well, where's our accomplishment? But when you think about, when you think about where all the growth is, you have to think about the prayers and intercession and efforts and investment that we've made that's produced about 20 churches, helped to produce 20 churches in Africa, and thousands of people who know the Lord who didn't know the Lord before. And you know the thing about you should have seen the garden when God had it to himself. Some of you were, were there. And some of you, if you'd, if you'd actually been there in the beginning and seen, poor Wilson and his two guys, or three guys at that time, were starving and just about ready to throw in the towel. No growth, nothing happening. The Lord raised this body up and brought through us life. And so... You know, the, the, the growth can manifest in all kinds of ways in different people's lives. So be encouraged, but know that it'll never happen apart from him. It happens with him and through him. So if, if growth is seen in the model of Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, what does abiding in the vine look like on a practical level? If, if, if I want to have growth in my life, if I want the sign of growth to manifest in me, and the secret is abiding in the vine. What is that, what's that going to look like in my daily life? Well, abiding in the vine looks like this. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, it says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness, singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What I noticed in, in that scripture, there was probably about four or five of the signs of the church mentioned just in that verse. The Lord add, added to the signs the sign of growth. I see the sign of growth as being a product of the other signs. When we allow those other signs of Pentecost, those signs of the church, to be vibrant and grow in us, that sign of growth will naturally take place. For example, the scripture I, I read, the Lord added to the signs of daily fellowship, the signs of unity, 
the signs of joy, the signs of praise. All those signs were mentioned. It says that daily they were together in one accord, met house to house, ate their food with gladness, singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with the people. So you could see the signs of daily fellowship, unity, joy, praise. The Lord added to those signs. In another place in Acts, we see the Lord adding to the sign of miracles. When it says in Acts 5, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and of women. In another place, the Lord added to the sign of preaching. Remember that preaching is one of the signs of the gospel. People can preach in the natural, but there's a sign of supernatural preaching. And you can get that message and learn about it. But in Acts 6 and 7 it says, And the word of the Lord increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Wow. The word of the Lord increased. That was a sign of preaching. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. And let me just say to you that um, abiding in the vine. The way abiding in the vine looks, the way you would put it in modern vernacular, is you would say that it's faith in Jesus, living in Him, faith in Jesus, versus following your religious beliefs that ought to run the church. The church ought to be run by faith in Jesus, not by following our religious beliefs. In other words, faith in Jesus is daily fellowship with the Lord, daily communion with Him. So abiding in the vine looked like this in the book of Acts, and it ought to look like this today. They, they were in love with Jesus, number one. Number two, they understood His preeminence. He was Lord. They lived like He was Lord. Number three, they yielded joyfully to His will. He didn't have to pull teeth to get Him to do the will of God. They joyfully sought and obeyed the will of God. Number four, they were not ashamed to witness they preached everywhere. And when persecution came on them, you know, persecution would shut down 90% of the church today. They'd say, I didn't sign up for this. But those people, when persecution hit them, the Bible says they were scattered and went everywhere preaching the gospel. It just stirred them up. <laughs> and so, number four, excuse me, number five, they were not ashamed to witness. Number six, they fellowshiped together with one another in love. In love. Today we got a lot of crabby Christians. Crotchety saints, just, you know, the spirit of irritability. And we need to fellowship with the Lord. Let that, that spirit of the vine rise up within us, fellowship with one another in love. Number six, it they flowed in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's so grievous today that so many churches not only ignore the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but they literally have abandoned and resist and closed the door and they don't welcome the moving of the Holy Spirit. They have created theological locks and barriers that they've put up against the moving of the Holy Spirit. Let me go on. That does, it, it doesn't stop there. They, they stood on the truth. No matter what was popular in society, you know, they lived in a society that the intellects of their society said, what is truth? A lot like today. 
Pilate said, what is truth? When Jesus Christ himself talked to him about the truth, he said, what is truth? And the society of their day, they did not allow themselves to be beat down by political correctness. They stood in the truth of God's word. And they walked in faith. They trusted God. They walked on water with Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Let me take the last few minutes because we're going to have some prayer together this morning. And we're going to let the Lord move. Let me just share with you a, a prophetic picture from the Word of God. It comes out of Ezekiel chapter 47. It is a great, beautiful, prophetic picture of the river of life. The sign of growth flows out of the river of life. In the New Testament, I think it was in John chapter 7 that Jesus said, the Spirit would be in you as a river of living water springing up to everlasting life. So when I use the term the river of life, I'm talking about the flow of the Holy Spirit. Now wherever the Holy Spirit's flowing, think of it as the liquid word of the Lord, that rhema logos, the liquid, the word of God being expressed by God through God. The river of life is the Holy Spirit carrying uttering, expressing the Word of God. It's filled with life. It flows. That, that river of the anointing is always with the Word, and the Word is always with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the Word are never separated. They're two sides of the same coin. So the river of life, think of it as the, the anointed Word of God, the anointed gospel going forth. Well, the sign of growth was produced in the New Testament church by the moving of the river of life, that river of life going forth. Now, if you want to get a tremendous picture of what does the going forth of the river of life look like, you'll have to go to the 47th chapter of Ezekiel, where the Bible, I'm not going to read it, it's just too much, but, but Ezekiel is in the Spirit and he sees this tremendous vision of the temple of God. And he's in the Spirit and he sees the temple of God. Now what he's looking at in the Old Testament was the temple of God, but for us, what's he seeing? He's seeing us, the church, the temple. What did Jesus say? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when, when he sees the temple, he's seeing Faith Christian Church. He's seeing you. He's seeing you and I together as the body of Christ. So the temple is the church. He sees this great vision, and out from the sanctuary, out from the throne room of the temple, there's a trickle of water, a little stream. Have you ever spilled a cup of water? You notice how on the table of the counter it'll trickle, it'll just... So have you ever watched it before the, you grab the napkin? It's starting to make its way to the edge of the table, and then it goes off the edge of the table, starts spilling on the floor, and if you let it keep going, it can make quite a mess as if it keeps going, right? So he sees a trickle flowing out of the throne room, flowing out of the sanctuary, and flowing out from under the door of the church. So he sees the river of life is leaving the church. But it's not leaving the church. It's just trickling out from the church like that, just going out. As it goes out, it starts to expand. It gets wider and it gets deeper. 
And there's three times in that vision that the, that the angel of the Lord or the, uh, the usher that was with him, ushering him through this vision, takes him and stands him in the river. And it says he, the guy counted a certain distance, about a thousand feet or so from the door of the temple and measured the water, had a plumb line in his hand, measured the water. And the, and the Bible says, the water was up to my ankles. Ezekiel said, the water was up to my ankles. So then the angel takes him about another thousand feet. And he says, it's now up to my knees. Then he takes him another thousand feet. Now the, riv- the thing is now no longer a stream. It's turning into a river. And the river is continuing to flow outward as it moves away, listen to this, away from the temple. The farther away from the temple it gets, the larger, deeper, and wider it becomes. That is amazing. So then the third time he goes another three, another thousand, so he's now about 3,000 feet away, and the Bible says it's up to his waist. And then finally, He gets far enough away, and the scripture says it is now a flowing river that one can swim in. That's exactly what Ezekiel said. It is now a flowing river that one can swim in. And he said one other interesting thing. Um, Well, I'll I'll read that one little segment to you. Again, he measured 1,750 feet, and it was a river I could not cross. For the water had risen... It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be crossed. There's a point at which when you share the gospel, when you let the river of life get outside of the, let it escape out of the church service. Let it get out of the church. Let it go out into the world. Carry it as far away from church as you can. Let it flow. You will find that the farther away from Quote, church, you get the deeper and wider God gets. The deeper you penetrate into the darkness of the world, the dryness of life, the bigger God manifests himself. You see that? Until the river became a barrier that could not be crossed. There's a point at which The Lord's going to cause the anointing of growth to manifest because His people have obeyed Him to the point where they've gotten so far away from just that Sunday go-to-meeting mentality. They're now out there as far as they could get in their daily lives, way out into this dry, secular culture, and that river becomes a barrier people can't avoid. That's when you start seeing exponential growth. Is when Christians carry the word of God so far out with such openness to the Holy Spirit, they allow God to move through their life. And the Bible says you can swim in that river, but you can't get around it. See, the world, when you're just dabbling, you, you, you know, you can still see the church door. You're just dabbling in ankle deep or knee deep water. People can just run right through it. But when it's over the head and rushing, sinners get in that river, they get swept away. They get saved. They get delivered. It's a barrier. God's word will become a barrier. The devil will not be able to get his captives through that river, around it. It is a barrier that cannot be avoided. 
That's called revival, people. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? There is something absolutely amazing about the sign of growth. And the, what's amazing about it is as long as you stay in a holy huddle, a weekly holy huddle, it's a trickle. You say, but we're in the house of God. We're, we're in the sanctuary. We're in the throne room. It's never going to be more than a trickle. You want to see the torrents of God? You want to see the river of life? You want to, well, I'll tell you what, if you continue reading Ezekiel 47, the Bible says that the prophet got on the river bank and the angel showed him that that river flowed down out of Jerusalem eastward. It literally says the river was traveling east. If you look on the map, Jerusalem is sitting here east of Jerusalem. Guess what you hit if you keep going east? You hit the Dead Sea. What is the Dead Sea? Water from the Sea of Galilee flows down the Jordan River, down into a big pot in the earth, a big hole in the ground called the Dead Sea. And the water flows into it. It's also called the Salt Sea because if you look on the south shore of the Dead Sea, there's no river that goes out of it. That's the end of the line. In other words, there's no outflow. Sinners are the Dead Sea. They take in, but they don't give out. Because they're spiritually dead, they can't give out. They just take in, take in, take in. Salt is building up, and there's very few things that can live in that water. It is the sea of death called the Death Sea. The Bible says that the river that flowed out of the temple hit the, red, hit the Dead Sea, and when it did, it says every living thing sprang to life and multiplied and there were that went from being the dead sea to being the living sea Mirac it's a picture of God miraculously transforming sinners and transforming a sinful culture and a sinful society by the infusion of the water that began as a trickle out of the Sunday service and and started to proceed faithful believers not just Sunday go to meeting church folks. I, don't you just hate it when people refer to you as church folks? But you know why they do that? Because you're just a Christian when you're in church. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are just a pain in the neck when they get, by the time they're out of church and around sinners, they're just a holy pain in the neck. We ought to be bearers of the living water. I mean, sinners ought to be, get, re, receive the kind of truth that sets her soul free. That kind of confrontation with, the, with heaven's love, with heaven's word of righteousness. We cannot save sinners, but the Jesus in us, if we let him flow through us, he can and he will. But how many of us are going far enough out there and letting that river flow? You are going, you're out in the world every single day. Are you letting the river flow? Are you letting the trickle that happened in church flow out into a mighty, impassable river in your life? That's really what this accomplishment comes down to. It's living in Jesus out there, not just living in Jesus in here. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me wrap this up before we pray. I've spent the past few months teaching on the signs of the church. We've come down to this last sign, 16th sign, sign of growth. 
Can I tell you that it is abnormal, abnormal for the church to be separated from its signs. God birthed this church with these signs and, he, and it's, it is a freak of nature to have a church without the signs. It's a freak of nature. It's a, if you go to a carnival, if you went to a spiritual carnival, and you went into the tent to see, you know, the bearded lady or the alligator boy, the church without its signs, that'd be one of them. The freak show. People love it, though. They love to go in. There's order. Nice and clean. Thousands of people. Everything just right. Process. It's like going to the, it's like going to the automatic car wash. You, you don't even have to stay in your car. Just, just leave the keys in, put it in neutral, and it just goes through and washes itself. You get to pick it up on the other side. You understand what I'm saying to you? Freaking nature. That's not the church that Jesus, that, that Jesus is moving in. Somebody say, praise the Lord. It's abnormal. Look, let me put it to you in the form of a question. How? How can we embrace the Holy Spirit and there not be a supernatural consequence? How do you embrace the Holy Spirit with no, no supernatural consequences? When you take fire, the Bible says, how can you take fire in your bosom and not be burned? The positive uh, uh, example of that, that analogy is how can you take the Holy Spirit in and not break out in supernatural signs? How do you do that? You can't do that. When you embrace the Holy Spirit, get ready. Because the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit is going to flow in your life. That's why He sent the Holy Ghost into your life. We are not supposed to be insulation, preventing Jesus' power from touching the world. That's not what the church is. Insulation material. Rubber wrapped around the, the hot copper wire of the Holy Spirit to keep sinners safe from being knocked out by the power of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Instead of insulation, we are, we are called to be a conductor of the Lord's love, a conductor of His power, jolting the spiritually dead to life in Jesus. This is why the unsaved can grab you with life, the current of God flowing in your life, and nothing. Because you've got so much rubber wrapped around that thing. Are you listening to me? They're not coming in contact with the hot copper wire. They Get rid of the rubber. Stop being an insulator and be a conductor of the power of the Holy Ghost. You say, people will say that's shocking. Yes, that's exactly what they need. Those demons aren't going to jump out of them until you shock them out of them. That unbelief is not going to fall away out of their mind until something shocking enters into their mind. There needs to be a shock effect that the world experiences when it comes in contact with the people of God. How, am I losing anybody? Because I could just see, I could see a couple of you thinking, oh, I, you know, I didn't become a Christian to be a shock to people. I, I want people to like me. Believe me, one day you're going to die and you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and whether you were liked by people is going to mean very little to you. You are going to wish you to spend more time concerning yourself with being fruitful and growth 
than you did about getting people like you. See, too many of you think you're the Lord's ad man, his advertising campaign agent. You think you're his PR man. You think you're the one that goes between Jesus and this, this uh, hostile, sinful culture, and you make Jesus palatable to these sinners. He don't need no PR man. He doesn't need somebody to dress him up. Jesus doesn't need somebody to translate him in the language of the sinner. Believe me, the impact, the shock of the gospel of Jesus Christ is exactly what the sinners need. You know, people today think they are totally different special. We live in an age where everybody wants to identify themselves. And if you don't relate with them based on how they identify themselves, men identify themselves as women, women identify themselves as men. People identify themselves as their pets. People identify themselves every day with something different and they want you to relate with them based on how they identify yourself. And if you dare to relate to them other than how they identify themselves, then of course you're a hater, you're insensitive. But let me tell you something. The problem with all people, men, women, young, old, it makes absolutely no difference. We're all the same. We don't come from different families. We come from one family, the family of Adam. And the problem with all people is sin. And there's nothing new or different about it. There is one cure. It is the Word of God. It is Jesus Christ. It is His truth, His gospel. And believe me, there's a sinner behind that self-identified individual who will hear the word of the gospel. They'll hear it. They won't know. Their head won't. Their head will fight it, but their heart will say, shut up up there and let that get down. I, I feel something when I hear that. Are you listening to me? They don't, their head doesn't get it, but their heart senses there's something there for me. And people get saved. So, let us strip off the insulation and let's conduct that river of life out into the world. Let's let the Lord send His power back into us and electrify those signs. Turn those signs on. Receive that anointing and turn those signs on in us. Amen? Amen. Close your Bible.